Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And I'm Philip Sage in Victoria, Australia. <laughs> We're talking around the world, you know, and one of the things I... You're ahead of me, so um, my reminding you that it's Fourth or uh, the Valentine's Day. Um, uh, knowing that we're recording this on for me the thirteenth and for you the fourteenth is that you, unless you've already got your act together for whether you're cooking dinner or getting a card or flowers or whatever it is that you and your wife do, um, but I suspect she has some expectations one way or the other. Oh, most definitely, and. Um... Fortunately, uh, earlier, a moment ago, you reminded me that it was also Valentine's Day, having just come through a birthday and uh, completely plum forgot about Valentine's oh, Day. Oh, so uh, I gave you a couple hour head, heads up here. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Recovery time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm yeah, glad no, to help. <laughs> yeah, thanks but, so much. <laughs> but having chatted like that for a moment or two, it made me think of, you know, um, there's a lot of, I mean, we've seen uh, job postings and that it lists all this generic stuff and you know must be this must be that and conversant and this that and the other thing and but a lot of reliability engineers are the only one in their organization oh, so there's not a lot of comparison of what other people do or not do but there's certainly prob more than likely um assuming that, that your boss isn't your wife um there's going to be expectations anyway maybe not for flower and cards on on a on a holiday but uh, or birthday kind of thing but i i i'm sure you've run into this uh, philip is that there's written expectations you know you're going to do this and that and the other thing and work on this project but then there's probably also unwritten expectations and um might be a good jumping off point for that yeah, it is. Uh, it's a great jumping off point. And uh, what, what do we do and uh, what are we expected to do and what does the organization really expect from somebody in that role or that reliability function? Uh, I would I would offer first to say uh, that uh, all, quite often it's a very generic, as you mentioned, a very generic uh, job description. And I think uh, without, uh, uh, you know, putting down the uh, the HR function, uh, the, there's a lot of copying of job descriptions for a reliability engineer that's gone on uh, and uh, by the HR team uh, because I don't think that they really ought, really truly understand uh, what a reliability engineer can do. And uh, as a result, they, they survey the, the uh, other organizations like them, other job postings and, and copy the language. And so we perpetuate a uh, kind of a a false expectation of, of what uh, uh, the, reliable, the reliability function should be performing in an organization, which can vary uh, all, you know, across a wide gamut of, uh, of topics. Oh, geez. Well, I, I know I've told this story on the, on the podcast at some point in the future or the past, uh, and probably will again in the future. But the, I was in a job interview with the guy that was running this new program, and it was for a handheld device of some sort. And, it, and it's he was the hiring manager. It was the first interview of the day. And he said, so um, if you come on as our reliability engineer, what do you think you're going to do? Or what do you expect that you'll be doing? 
And he says, well, the first thing I do is go talk to the design team, figure out where the, the issues are. And he said, whoa, 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 stop. I didn't even get two sentences in to this interview. And he said, no, 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 stop right there. You will not be allowed to talk to the design team. Wow. Yeah. So I, I stood up and said, well, then I wish you a lot of luck. Um, I'm not the right person for this position. Um, I think you will struggle in getting this product to actually work. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to waste your your time or your team's time. So thank you very much. And I left. He was shocked, absolutely shocked. Uh, he chased me out to the car, kind of like a used car dealer saying, what's it going to take to get you to you know take this offer? And I'm like, no, if that's the attitude you have of what a reliability engineer does, then I think you will, you will get somebody that will run tests for you, but they'll be less than meaningful. <laughs> so yeah. good luck to you. And, uh, and of course, a year later, I kept track of that product line and it had a dismal launch and for six months, it was just, it was in the news, bad kind of thing. So I was very happy to dodge that one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's just one example. That's a very uh, powerful example of, of the, um, uh, misconception, if you will, maybe that's the right word. Maybe it's not of, of what, uh, not only the uh, the HR function, which is performing hiring and firing, uh, as their primary diet, but uh, the the management team that uh, has promoted that position and says we need the HR team to go find us a, a viable candidate and bring bring those viable candidates in front of us. Uh, th this is what we think we want, and that job description of of what reliability is all about is is often as as we noted a moment ago very vague and, and generic and very, very broad when, and, but, you know, they probably have to be in order to uh, encompass uh, what we want them uh, to be able to do. But uh, the expectations of uh, what a reliability engineer can do uh, are, are rather limitless and, and we can you know, work a very, uh, at a very low level uh, doing root cause analysis or as you mentioned uh, within uh, the final phases of product design or in the uh, final manufacturing and first pass quality all of those areas are the purvey of a very competent reliability engineer don't you think oh uh, yeah well i had to convince people that it's okay for me to go talk to the finance team you know and, and we need to corral the marketing folks of what they're claiming our product can and can't do and and you know and, and getting involved with supplier issues and and supplier selection and yeah yeah i I agree. And I heard it from a, a project manager I was working with. He was running this big project. And I asked him one time, why am I the only one here that doesn't have a team? You know, you got the manufacturing engineering manager, you got the mechanical engineering manager, electrical engineering manager, software engineering team manager, on and on and on. I had a whole table full of all these mid-level managers. And me, I was in the company about at six months and I was engineer level one, you know, and he's in there and he says, you're the only other person except me that has to work with all of these different fields. Mm. He says, mechanical engineer can do mechanical stuff all day long. As long as they know where the wires are going, then they're happy, you know, <laughs> You know, it's kind of, kind of their it's take a, on it. Oversimplification. I imagine a, a few mechanical engineers might uh, object to that. But yeah, I hear you. Yeah. No, but it's, it's um, you know, the software guys, as long as the chip's on there and powered, I don't really care how it gets powered. I'm fine. I got a software problem to solve. And, and it makes sense. And reliability folks, 
can be reactionary, and it really depends on the culture of the organization. The expectation may be, you know, I want really good problem solving and, and root cause analysis and, and managing uh, priorities like a, a, a fracas system of some sort or, or leading teams to, to drive solutions in short term and long term. And that's completely different than another set of expectations where the team has got a really good culture around reliability and they say, well, we want to do an analysis and preventative issues and we want to learn from our mistakes so we never make them again. We want to, what, how can we, you know, hone this one step further? How do we get the next level of performance out of our suppliers? How do we manage our warranty so it's really useful for our customers and providing information? I mean, all kinds of things can be completely different, but it's still a reliability opening yeah. or reliability role. I think you hit it on the head that uh, the expectations of the organization are uh, largely a reflection of where the organization is on their own reliability journey. And um, it, it, that can be very reactive and fourth quartile or it can very much be uh, very proactive uh, with a first quartile organization where you're really, I think you used the word honing, uh, you know, you're really sharpening the edge that already exists of, of how you do things uh, within your industry segment. And um, the, the, the role of the reliability engineer in, in uh, both of those very different uh, aspects or, or uh, uh, life points uh, or milestones along the, the reliability journey for any organization is a very different role. And the expectation should be very different and, and, and uh, very much tailored uh, so that you're working on, on the right things. And I would offer uh, often <clears throat> the uh, reliability profession is misunderstood or not fully understood. And as a result, we have reliability engineers working to the wrong expectations. Well, there's that. I, mean, I That touches on a topic I think we should probably do a whole nother episode for. <laughs> but the, I, I'm going to shift gears a little bit, though. Let's say you're in the organization or you've just moved, like many of us have been tapped on the shoulder and says, hey, you're our reliability engineer now. Um, there's a little bit of, oh, I don't even know what to do uh, kind of scenario. But once you get your feet under you and you figure out, you know, that Weibull analysis might well be part of your life now, um, what should a person do to... to you know, kind of define their role is how do they know what's expected? Unless you have a boss say, sit over there and crank out these Weibull plots for us. Here's the data, you know, don't worry about where it comes from, comes from that kind of thing. Now I would be just mortified with that kind of expectation, but yeah, that might happen. Um, but I, I'm thinking of when I first started as a reliability engineer, and I didn't even know that was a title or a a possibility, anything. So my boss came in and said, hey, we've got this major customer. They want us to custom design this product for him and they want to make sure it lasts for 20 years. And I was like, okay, I have no idea how to do that. So it's good. Now you can go figure it out. <laughs> That's your job. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> and, you know, and so the expectation, and it was a great organization that I was working in. It was, we were learning all the time. And it was one of those places where the expectation is, is that the only mistake you can do is, is make it twice. You know, it is not yeah. learn as you go along. Um, and my, uh, when I was uh, in, in the engineering manager, in the uh, manufacturing management team, um, our boss, Ron, 
was you need to do an experiment every single day. And it doesn't have to be, you know, earth shattering or going to transform the company's production or anything like that, but you need to do an experiment. We're spending all this time learning about all these different tools and techniques and processes and stuff like that. Practice it. And so we would do just trivial experiments sometimes, but we would do a hypothesis test one day and a control chart the next day and a, a mini DOE the next day and stuff like that. And it didn't have to be formal reports or anything else, but he would ask every day, what experiment did you do? What, what results did you get? What did you learn? And so it was a wonderful place to work with, to work in, and because you you were allowed to fail, and but it was always in the light of to learn. So the expectation was pretty clear, and it was broad, and it was a young engineering team. A bunch of us were pretty much straight out of school, and it was like, no, you need to learn. Just go learn. <laughs> and while yeah. you're at it, you'll stumble into making stuff better. That's great, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. That's a great environment. Uh, you know, and on the other end of the spectrum, I'm mortified when, and I have recently heard of a uh, uh, reliability role where the expectation was only to do root cause failure analysis. That was the job. Yeah. Uh, was oh, and by the way, you get no lab. You, we'll give you a microscope and that's it, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in, uh, the other end of uh, uh, the spectrum in asset management and uh, in the mining industry in particular, uh, the, the asset management uh, is, is a more intense uh, related uh, portion of uh, the reliability engineering uh, umbrella. And uh, the things that you mentioned, I think uh, very much are part of the, the role of the reliability engineer, including uh, the design of experiments and, and running uh, you know, various tests and, and what a wonderful environment to uh, broaden your horizons and grow up in. Uh, and uh, ideally, you'd also, I, you know, as I did, I, I had one of the world's greatest mentors is, is my first boss. And uh, that person, you know, you know, helps you along the journey uh, to explore and, and open up your eyes uh, much wider as to what the possibilities are. Yeah. So I think that that, you know, having that and um, uh, the other thing that you mentioned, Fred, was uh, the expectations of, uh, of an, a, you know, a, a newly anointed reliability engineer, uh, especially if you haven't uh, gone through any formal training and 20 years ago. Uh, there wasn't any formal training in reliability at uh, upper in upper higher education. Uh, today there is, but it's limited. There are pockets of excellence around the world, yep. uh, as you know. But um, for the most part, reliability engineers uh, are uh, engineers that have kind of gravitated towards the reliability field from another field or uh, in uh, some cases still today uh, coming up from starting their career in the tools, which is uh, you know, a wonderful place to start because you have such a practical background of how things work and how things get fixed. Yeah. So I, I don't know that um, the uh, the expectations uh, can be uh, really fundamentally pinned down other than to say that the, the uh, definition of the expectations is one that requires intense amount of communication between the reliability engineer and their team and their boss. Yep. And to, to make sure that uh, you're constantly communicating and asking, you know, and, and even if you're not in an environment where uh, the uh, the mantra is go do an experiment and fail every day as a way to learn, you need to, uh, you know, perhaps kind of start that environment by asking the right questions of, uh, you know, what's important to the organization, where, can I make the biggest impact? Uh, what are the things that I should be doing? Why does that help us? 
and, uh, and and I think those challenges uh, also help uh, the management team that has a very broad but often myopic view of, of what a reliability engineer should do uh, helps open the playing field to what a reliability engineer can do. Yep. And, and a fully empowered reliability engineer, I think, is just a wonderful thing uh, because they will come in and assess the entire playing field and figure out where the right place to plug in is and also uh, provide that all-important communication and teamwork uh, that's uh, absolutely essential not only to their success, but the entire team's success. Well, that that building on that, or building, or there's two parts here. I'm going to try to remember both of them. But the, my first thought as you're laying that out is the um, one of the great questions to ask wherever you are. I mean, it's not just for reliability engineers. Is what are we trying to do here? You know, what what is it? What's the remember the the vision statements, and then they eventually became little more than Hallmark card on the side of the wall. Um, you yes. know, it's kind of worthless. You know, or mission statements and all those kind of stuff, but. At some point, you need to have that discussion with your boss and your boss's boss or, or CEO of the company, if you depend on access and all the other stuff. What is it we're trying to do here? Not, yeah, we're trying to get this product ABC out the door, but why? You know, Yeah, that we make money on it, but what, what problem are we trying to solve in society? You know, why, if we're making water purification systems for campers, well, there's the, the solution we're providing them is clean drinking water when they're in the, away from, you know, water facilities and services. There's a creek or a stream or a glacier. And all right, I get that. That's what we're trying to do. But if you don't understand what it is you're trying to do, it's not just ship 100 units this week. It's what's the bigger picture? What is it we're, tr what, what's the overall direction of this company or vision of this company or, or meaning of what we're trying to do. I think that's a piece that helps one align the expectations across the organization. And anybody can ask that question, you know, it might sound naive, but if you, and I've asked execs a handful of times. So I, it was a mean question. I know I, uh, you'd probably enjoy this one, Philip is VP of somebody, my, engineering or something like that's talking to this group in this class. And I asked, so what's a day like for you? I have no idea what you do a day in and day out. And I says, well, I have this meeting and we talk about, you know, who gets to sit where we can do this, we can do that, we can do everything else. And he listed all these things that were pretty mundane. And he says, when you first introduced yourself, you said your number one priority is X. You didn't mention that at all in what you do every day. So how do you say that's a priority when you don't do it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I asked every, it was a class where all these different execs were coming in and giving this class a, a pitch and there's like two or three a day. And word got out that I was asking this question because I thought it was hilarious that they would tell us what's important and then ignore it in their day-to-day -day activities. And yeah. so one of them says, where's Fred? I know that I've been told that somebody's going to ask me this question. So <laughs> I, I've come prepared. <laughs> I, that's a fair question. And um, uh, it, 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 the question, of course, I think uh, the purpose of, of mentioning it is that it directly relates uh, to the reliability engineers day and what their expectations are and, and that they, we should be 
uh, very intently and passionately focused on making a difference in in our company. And um, that, you know, what does a reliability engineer do? Uh, you know, often, unfortunately, we have to figure out what that is, and 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 or uh, in some cases, we have to battle uphill from an organization that has only known the bottom, and therefore only uh, operates in a uh, and has has been used to operating in a very reactive mode, and therefore, the reliability role that they're used to is maybe not what the what they need for the future. But um, if you so, have a good picture from your operation, you know, the ops manager, basically, that, you know, we really care about and it and it makes or breaks our business if our product is, you know, meets our numbers, our quotas for a week, we fill shipments or another plant I was in. Now, we have we'll give up volume to get the product quality right. You know, and if it's if it doesn't meet the specifications or the expectations of our customers, it doesn't matter how many we ship, it's not going to work and and so on. And so that that can guide us also as to what kinds of things should we do that because uh, if I'm working on uptime and they really don't care about uptime, they're just caring about quality, um, mm. I'm out of sync. And so it's absolutely. That, yeah, I, I think you hit the, the nail on the head as the, as the saying goes. Uh, you know, it, it, the, probably the most powerful thing a reliability engineer can do is recognize that they need to stop working on uptime, and uh, and it's now time to start working on first pass quality. Yeah. And one of the most powerful things that can happen in an organization is when a reliability engineer joins the quest, uh, whether it be OEE or uh, quality uh, and uh, and understands, uh, you know that that's really the, the current bottleneck of the company. Yeah. Um, and you know, especially if you're already at at the top end of your uh, capability, <clears throat> there's no amount of additional maintenance strategies that are going to reduce the number of failures, which are low, by any significant number to make a a marginal increase. And you really do. Uh, want to be working with um, some of the the CRE tools, if you will, and 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 looking at uh, run charts and other uh, statistical quality control uh, aspects as part of your reliability engineering role. That uh, as you shift between uh, those areas of uh, primary focus as the organization grows, uh, you're shifting to the area that delivers the most value. You know, there's one last aspect of this, and uh, then we'll have to wrap it up. Is that some of the reliability engineers I've met and known over the years have their own set of expectations, what they should think they should be doing and, and don't, and are going to impose that on the organization. Now I did that in that interview. It says, I expect to talk to the design teams and they said, no, you can't. And it says, okay, well, that doesn't meet my expectation. I'm out of here, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it's the, we are also, can be our own worst critic in to some extent. And, and so setting expectations that um, keep the customer in focus, keep the output of what we're trying to achieve is the bigger picture kind of thing um, helps a whole lot, but it's also, you know, is, I don't know, what we're doing make a difference and is it give us job satisfaction, those kinds of things. Is it, those are aspects of it too, is that if I really like doing parts count predictions day in and day out. And if imagine if I did it every day, I'd get good at it, you know, cranking out sheets full of meaningless numbers. 
And I've met people that that's what they do and they like doing it. They know what they're doing. They have a limited scope. They don't want to look elsewhere for other types of things they could be doing or making an impact on. Um, you know, more power to him. He, he likes doing that stuff. People are willing to pay him money for it, which I really don't understand. That might be a topic for a whole nother podcast. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's your own expectation sometimes is maybe you're not achieving what you want as fast as you want or vice versa is that this world's moving way too fast and I'm not comfortable with that. So it's, um, there's a lot to the single word of just expectations. And I th think the number one takeaway is, as you said, Philip, is lots of communication. Talk to your boss, talk to your peers, talk to your team, uh, understand what's expected and, and to what extent. No, I agree with you wholly. And uh, as we wrap things up here, I think that you, again, uh, just highlighted the, the question that probably every reliability engineer, every reliability professional should ask at some point in the next week or two uh, from their peers and from their boss and organization is what is expected. And, and uh, if that answer uh, surprises us, then we need to really kind of come to grips with the fact that we may not be working on the right things or we may be trying to impart our personal bias onto the organization in a way that it's really not ready to grow and that our efforts really might be better served in a different area or a different focus. Yeah. So with that, I'll throw it back to you, Fred, and yeah. uh, let you put the ribbons on it. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm thinking is, uh, uh, I guess the right question for our listeners is, did this episode meet your expectations? And that might be opening Pandora's box for us, but we'll see. If you got a comment on the, on the show or this topic or other topics or something you'd like to hear us talk about, now, the expectation is, is that you actually take a few minutes and send us a note or a message or an email or something like that. You can go over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR, and there's a couple of ways to get in touch with us. Uh, Philip and I and the other hosts of the show are available through LinkedIn and through our About pages on Ascendo. So plenty of ways for you to get in touch with us. And my expectation is I'd like to hear from you. So that'd be cool. So anyway, Phil, thanks a whole lot. And I, you mentioned this working on the right thing so many times. We're going to have to hit record again here real quick. All right. Sounds good, Fred. <laughs> take care. Yep. Take care. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show. Please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.